Hmm? A little later on, we'll be in the book of Malachi. We'll get there eventually. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. I appreciate you folks being here. Thank you for everybody fitting, fitting in physically, squeezing into the chairs, into the space available. Guys, I appreciate you being here this morning, but I appreciate you guys just being here. And I mean on an ongoing basis. I appreciate you folks. I love you folks. And I count it a great privilege to be your pastor. These past 11 years have just been outstanding. That doesn't mean there's not ups and downs. What a blessing to be a part of this church. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. As the pastor of the church, sometimes you do have to say things that maybe some in the church wouldn't like to hear, but that's my job as the pastor is to feed the flock, not to coddle the flock, not to babysit the flock, but to feed the flock. And sometimes you don't get the ice cream, sometimes you get the the broccoli. And and, and I I hope that there's a couple sweet parts to what I have to say today. I do want to help. I am trying to help, but it might be a little bit of broccoli at the same time. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17, Paul says to this church, Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. I want to preach to you for a few minutes today a sermon called, God is better than that. God is better than that. If you would, let's bow our heads together. Let's talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning that we do get to be here. And Lord, uh, it's not about the venue, although this is exciting. It's about meeting with you. That's far more exciting. Lord, we have a building, but now we want an altar. We want a place where we can come and do business with you, where you can speak to us. Father, we want to know that we've met with you today, and we want to be able to leave better than how we came. Please, God, give me unction from on high to preach boldly as I ought to. And Father, you know I love these people. Lord, please help me to help them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have you ever said to somebody, maybe you've thought this about somebody, they say something, do something, and you think, you're better than that. You ever thought that? Think, come on, man. You're better than that. Maybe you have thought that about yourself. You have let someone down. And you've thought about yourself, about your behavior. You've thought that person deserves better than that. I've I've let that one down. When we look at the church in the Bible, the book of Acts, you look at the high standard that church had. And it was a high standard. You look at the fervency, the zeal, the love, the unity, the peace. That church set the standard very high. They took it very seriously. And then when you get to this portion of Scripture and you see the Corinthian church not coming together for the better, but for the worse, you have to think, come on guys, you're better than that. And at the same time, I think it would be fitting to look at that church and say, Corinthians, you know that God is better than that. The attention, the effort, 
the passion, the zeal for the house of God. And by the way, the Bible says Jesus was eaten up with zeal for the house of God. John chapter 2. So I'm not saying anything from my own personal perspective today. That's a, that's a Jesus thing. We could tell the Corinthians, come on church, God is better than that. We ought to, and I think this verse spells it out nicely, we ought to come together for the better. You ought to leave better than how you came. Amen? In the book of Ezekiel, you read about a millennial temple. A temple will be built when Jesus comes. And the Bible says that if somebody enters in by the north gate, they're not allowed to go out at the north gate. If you come in in the north, you have to go out of the south gate. The Bible says there, he shall not return by the way whereby he came, but shall go forth over against it. You can't go out the way you came in. That's the rule for the house of God. That is a good rule for the house of God. You're not allowed to come in the way you, or to leave the way you came in. Now, you do have a choice. You can leave for the worse. The Corinthians did. But the will of God is you step in and things get a bit better. When I was a young man, from the age of four to the age of eight, I coughed every day, all day. My teacher had to send me home from school sometimes because I was disruptive to the class, not intentionally, mind you, but I would cough so much. I could not stop. My dad took me to every doctor and every hospital you could imagine. He had moving boxes filled with pills and liquids, medicines. At one point, they took me to a special hospital, and I had to have 44 injections in my left arm, but I couldn't get them all in one day, obviously. I had to go back, I think, six or seven weeks in a row, and I had to get these inspitings, right? These shots, these injections in my arm. It took several weeks because once they introduce the medicine, it has to build in your system. You're not going to expect to go into that hospital, get one shot, and walk out and everything's fixed. It's going to take several weeks and you cannot miss a week because the medicine builds on itself. It is a booster system. Now the end of that story is I never got better. Because of those injections, they never helped. I actually got worse. You, it is possible to go to a church, and if you got the wrong doctor, given the wrong diagnosis, and giving you the wrong medicine, you can walk away worse than how you came. But if, if it is the right doctor giving you the right medicine with the right diagnosis then still more, if you do not go for all the doses, you're still not going to get any better. At best, you will remain the same. Does that make sense? It's a booster system. Say, I'm here for three out of four services. Yeah, but then the medicine is not going to take full effect. Say, but I, I supplemented. I went to church online. Number one, that's impossible. It cannot be done. But number two, God, is, God leads the pastor of a church to feed that flock. And, and there's a certain momentum that builds in each local church. And if you miss one of those doses, you're, you're, you're losing the momentum of the medicine. 
and it's not going to work. The Corinthian church, as you can see, coming together for the worse, what was making them worse? Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Paul said, there's a lot of rumors going around about that church. You guys just keep fighting about everything. And we know in the book, in the first few chapters, they were dividing on who's your favorite preacher? Which podcast do you listen to? Whose YouTube channel do you subscribe to? You know, that kind of stuff. Who's the better preacher? They were fighting over who had the better spiritual gifts. Who has more spiritual gifts? They were dividing over doctrine. Some of them had bad teaching, bad doctrine. Verse 19, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. So when you find out there's a bad teaching being circulated, you need to investigate it. Who's saying that? And then it needs to be made manifest. The, the pastor has to stand up and deal with that and say, so-and-so said this, but that's not right. And there were divisions because some of them, even in the Corinthian church, stopped believing in the resurrection, which is a, a fundamental of the faith. And they were dividing over that. But it wasn't just divisions that was causing this church to go bad instead of getting better. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Guys, the, the focal point, the, the middle bint of the, of the church service is not the nachmal. It's not the Lord's Supper. They were making it the big deal. Do you know there are churches in this world today that still make that the big deal? That's the reason they go to church. I'm not against the Nachmal. I think we should do the Lord's Supper. We do. We'll take it in a few weeks. We'll have it again. But that's not the focal point of the service. We don't come together to do that. You know why they were getting worse and not better? They were emphasizing the wrong things. They were putting too much emphasis on things that were not that important. Verse 21, another mistake. For in eating... Bless your heart, sister. You need to go that direction next time. <laughs> Verse 21, For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. They were bringing their food to church. And because they ate in church, they called it the Lord's Supper. You can bring your bourdevores to church. That doesn't bless the vores. <laughs> They're just vores. It doesn't matter if you bry beri heis or bry beri kerk. <laughs> they were doing, listen to this, they were doing carnal things and calling them spiritual and therefore tricking themselves into thinking we have accomplished something for the Lord just because you put the Lord's name on it. You might just be doing a carnal thing using spiritual words, thinking you're getting better, but you're not. Verse 22, what? Have you not houses to eat? And to drink in, watch this phrase, or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So they would bring the food. Some people would have plenty to eat and eat too much, plenty to drink and drink too much and actually get drunk in church. While the other guy sitting next to him had nothing. Paul says, you honestly think that I'm going to praise you because you brought your food to church and called it the Lord's Supper? Are you serious? 
Notice what he said in the middle of the verse. Or despise ye the church of God. I'm going to ask you, are you perhaps despising the church? So what do you mean? Let let me give you a a definition. To, To despise something means to regard it as negligible. You say, that English is too much. All right, let me break it down even farther. What does it mean to be negligible? So small or unimportant or of so little consequence as to warrant little to no attention. To treat the church as negligible, no big deal, small, unimportant, little consequence, so that you don't pay attention while you're here. Paul said, are you really going to despise the church of God like that? Listen, God is better than that. The house of God is better than that. They, if I can say it this way, were taking it lightly. They were taking it lightly. Come to Malachi now, if you would. Malachi chapter 1. If you get the book of Matthew and come back one page, you'll be Malachi. Malachi. Sweetheart, going on the other way. (laughs) Malachi chapter 1. And in just a moment, we'll look at verse number 6. How many of you have ever been in a bowling alley? How many of you that just raised your hand, when you were in the bowling alley, did they turn the lights off while you were bowling? I mean off, like it was in the dark and there's a disco ball. Okay, hands back up in the air. I have been to a handful of bowling alleys in South Africa. I've yet to see a real one. No, I mean, they're, they're actual bowling alleys, they're lanes. There's, there's a little bit of oil on the lane, there are pins down there at the end, there's a ball that you throw. But when I was growing up, I grew up in a bowling alley. I was there five, six days a week from the time I was eight until the day I got saved. I just wanted to bowl. I was just about to get my pro tour card. God saved me. You know which two nights I went to bowl in leagues? Sunday night and Wednesday night. That's church night. So when I got saved, I stopped going on Sunday nights. But the Wednesday night, All the best bowlers in the entire city of Dallas, which is a big city, they would all come to our bowling alley. It was the big time. And I was having the greatest season of my life, highest average I'd ever had. I was anchoring the number one team in the area. And Christina would show up, because we bowl three games, she'd show up right at the beginning of the third game and say, honey, I learned so much at church tonight. Oh, it was so great. We're covering the book of Revelation. Oh, it's so wonderful. The Lord showed up. And I thought... It's fine. I'm having a good game. Now stop it. Stop it. That happened, I think, three or four times. And I said, forget it. I'll skip bowling and I'll go to church. That was the last time I ever bowled in a league. I never went back. I know what bowling looks like. I know what it looks like. I, I, I know how it feels to bowl at, at, at a high level. I know what it smells like. There's a smell that comes with the tournament. When you have... 400 bowling balls laying all around you, that, that smells something. It has, a, it has an odor. To this day, I can, I can smell it in my sleep. I went back to America, you remember last, about a year and a half ago? I went back to one of those bowling alleys. Oh, what, what memories. 
They gave me a bowling pin. Just, just memorabilia. I know how it feels to have proper bowling. Man, is it fun. Man, is it thrilling. For me, that's just my opinion. You don't have to like it, but wow. I know what it feels like, and you don't have it here. That's not a knock against you. You don't need it here. Right? You can, you can get, a, get through in life without bowling. <laughs> Amen. Don't worry, I'm not preaching that you ought to like bowling. Right. So, breathe, yes, breathe, it's fine. I've been in churches. I've been around churches. I know churches. I've been in over 250 different churches. America, Canada, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Malawi, South Africa, India. I've been in a few churches. I know how sweet it can be. And listen, I'm limited in my experience. I'm sure there's some other churches out there that it would be even better than what I've ever experienced. I know how sweet it can be. And, and, and folks, I want you to get a taste of that. I couldn't care less if you ever go into a proper bowling alley. But I'd really like for you to get a taste, just one taste, what it feels like to step into the house of God and we're all clicking on the right cylinder. We're, we're all together. We're doing it a, a biblical way. We're not despising it. We're not taking it lightly. We're, 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 there's a buzz that comes with that. Where God starts to move around. And, and we've come close a few times here. But friends, I'm telling you, it's not something that an eloquent pastor can bring. And God knows I'm not eloquent. This, this is only achieved when all of us are on the same page. I've been in Malawi when the people walked four hours one way to get to church. Hey, brother, you have church. You have church. After you walk four hours, you get up at 5 a.m. and walk to get there at 9 a.m. and you stay until 5 p.m. and walk home in the dark. That's church. You're going to have some church. I've been in India where the people get beaten on their way to church every Sunday. There are some men that crawl on their hands and knees one, two hours to get to church. They crawl to church because if the Hindu extremists see them going, they get beaten. That's church. I've seen them in America where they come together, 350 people in the church. You have a missions conference. All 350 are there every night and you have to get there an hour early to find a seat. I was the visiting speaker I couldn't find a seat, and I'm speaking that night. I only got there 45 minutes early. I didn't know. And they didn't leave. As soon as church was done, they just stuck around fellowship until 11 p.m. I went to a church in Florida one time, and when church ended, half of them went home, half of them went to a restaurant, you know, something like that. There was about 30 men, I'm talking grown men, jobs, professional men, police chief, captain, lawyers, things like that. They stayed there all afternoon because they had to drive three hours to get to church. It was the closest available Bible-believing church. They drove three hours to get there, so they just stayed in the afternoon, and the pastor moved the starting time of the evening service from 6 p.m. to 4 p.m. to accommodate them because they wanted more church. And when you step up to preach to that, 
as soon as you say, let's all open our Bibles, it sounds like the army. They all stand to attend. Literally, they stand up with their Bibles. They stand to find the Scripture because they're showing respect to the Word of God. It's in the book of Nehemiah, by the way, or, or Nehemiah. It's, they, they stood, and they don't sit down until you've read and prayed, and then you're starting to preach. They stood there. And those people are on the edge of their seats the entire time. Why? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Malachi chapter 1. We're going to come to it in just a moment. Let me tell you something that we need. Because in Malachi 1, starting in verse 6, we're going to start reading about the table of the Lord, which we also call the altar. Every church needs an altar. The house of God always has an altar. Our church has an altar. I mean, it's a very small one right now. You're going to have to build your own altar for a few weeks until we get the building standing. You're going to have to use your chair as an altar. Every house of God needs an altar. An altar is a place to do business with God. It is a place, if you look throughout your Bible, every time God reveals himself to somebody, does something big, says something big, that person builds an altar or goes to the altar and they offer the necessary sacrifice to acknowledge, God, I, I hear you. I want you to see that what you've just done is a big deal to me. Here's my altar. Noah came out of the ark. You know what the first thing he did was? He built an altar. When Abraham was told to leave his kin and country to go to the land of Canaan. When he arrived, God said, now you're home. You know what the first thing he did was? He built an altar. And then Abraham moved just a little distance between Bethel and Hai, he built an altar. Abraham went down into Egypt. You know what he didn't have when he was in Egypt? An altar. Because when you backslide and go out to the world... You don't bring an altar. You're not doing any business with God out there. You forsook the altar. When he came back from Egypt, the Bible says he went back to the altar between Bethel and Ai. He had to separate from Lot. And at this time, Abraham moved to a place called Hebron. When he went to Hebron, you know what he did? First thing, built an altar. Because you've got to have a place where you do business with God. You've got to. You can't be in a place and not have an altar and expect things to be right between you and God. You need an altar. You don't need a building. You need an altar, I said. Abraham had an altar. God told him, sacrifice your son. Abraham went to Moriah. You know what he did? He built an altar. God, I hear you, and I'm taking it seriously. He built an altar. Jacob, running from Esau, God shows up to him in a dream. Remember what he was using for a pillow? A stone. The Bible says he put that stone up and anointed it. You know what he called it? A pillar, not an altar. Because Jacob was marking the place where he made up his own deal with God. God, if you bring me back, if you answer all my prayers, if you make everything work out, then this will be your house and I will give you a tenth. As if God's a mob boss. He never built an altar. He, he erected a pillar. And then one night, Jacob is having a wrestling match with God. 
and he sees God face to face and God touches his thigh and the next day, here comes Esau and God answered the prayer and took care of Esau, but Jacob had a one-on-one with God and Jacob left different than how he came. He never walked the same. It changed him forever. He went out better. He went out broken and that's what you probably need. He took that walk seriously after that. You know what the Bible says he did? He went home and he built an altar. Because he finally took God serious. Things started to go pear-shaped again. His daughter ran off with some Gentile. Simeon and Levi wiped out an entire town. Jacob got scared. You know what God told him to do? Go back to Bethel, which means the house of God, and build an altar. A couple centuries pass by. Moses brings the people of Egypt, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. God commands him: first off, build an altar, a temporary one. Build an altar of stones or of earth, but you need an altar. Even before you build the permanent altar of brass, build a temporary one. You got to have an altar. Finally, they build the tabernacle. When you're walking up to the tabernacle, you know what the first thing you see is the altar of brass. Because when you walk up, you know I'm here to do business with God. When you walk into the tabernacle, you push back that first curtain. On the left, you see the candlestick. On the right, you see the table of showbread. But before you can enter into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was manifested by the Ark of the Covenant, there stands the altar of incense. Every time you want to approach to God, brother, sister, there's an altar. David, he has access to the altar down by the tabernacle. You might remember 70,000 people died in one day. David said, God, what do I do to fix this? God said, build an altar. Solomon makes the temple stand. He builds that temple. After seven years of building, oh God, help us not to take seven years of building. But after seven years of building, the Bible says Solomon walked over to that altar He stood, then he kneeled down, he lifted up his hands, and he prayed, and he dedicated that house, but he did it by an altar. Because what good is the house of God if you don't have an altar? The Jews disobeyed God, out they went. Into captivity, 70 years, no altar. Finally, when they come back, you know what they did? First thing, when they get back to the land, the Bible says, Ezra chapter 3, they built an altar. Before they rebuilt the temple, they built an altar, and they didn't even put it on legs. There were, it didn't stand up in the air. The temple, or, I'm sorry, the altar was just on the ground because they were afraid of what other people would see and think. But they said, we have to sacrifice to our God. We have to do business with God, and they put an altar there. They started to build the temple. You know what happened? The enemy came out and said, hey, 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 you can't build this. Stop it. And they did. And that building project sat there for 16 years. Finally, the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah stood up and Haggai preached to them and said, is it time for you to dwell in sealed houses and for the house of the Lord to lay here in ruins? Consider your ways, the prophet said. Think about the message you're sending. Your house is beautiful, but look at the house of God. Go to the wood, cut down the trees, bring the materials, build the house. The Bible says God will be pleased with it. They had that altar, 
that whole time. The building came later. Guys, I don't care how long it takes for us to get that building standing out there. We can have an altar right now. And what good is the building if we're not going to do business with God? We need an altar. Before we need a building, we need an altar. God, help us. Please, God, don't give us the building if we don't have an altar. We need an altar. About 120 years after the Jews rebuilt the temple, Malachi stands up to preach. Chapter 1 and verse number 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? Unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? God, what do you mean we're taking you lightly? What do you mean? You, now, brother, sister, you and I as saved people, we are priests. We are spiritual priests. 1 Peter chapter 2 says we're supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices, all of us, not just the pastor. He asked the priest, how is it that you're not showing me honor and respect? They said, how is it that we've disrespected you? Verse 7, ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. The word contempt means you're taking it lightly. The bread that they brought, it might have been fresh bread. But they would take it to that altar, to that table and go, eh, at least we got this out of the way. Kind of sounds like a lot of Sunday mornings. I showed up, well, I endured unto the end, got that out of the way. Now I can get on with my day. God says, why are you taking me lightly? I, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. Verse number 8, and if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Try that with your boss. Try treating your job the way you treat your church and see how good that works out for you. That, that's not me, that's Malachi. That's what Malachi said. Verse number 9, and now I pray you, beseech God that he'll, he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. He's saying, guys, you better beg for God's mercy. Because the way you're treating him, he is so much better than that. You, you have despised him so much, you better beg for mercy. And then he, he explains what's wrong with their attitude towards the altar. This hath been by your means. What's he saying? You guys have chosen the quality and the quantity of what you're putting on the altar. It has been by your means. You're not approaching the altar the way God told you to. You're not bringing the offerings that God told you to. You're not tending to the business that God has put before you. You are deciding. It is by your means. I'll decide when I show up. I'll decide how long I'm there. I'll decide how often I show up. Quality and quantity. I'll decide the amount of time, the amount of effort, and the amount of interest that I want to put into the table of the Lord. 
Malachi said, that's where it's gone wrong. You're coming to the house of God your way. Will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? You think you can just show up with this half-hearted sacrifice? With this bad attitude towards the house of God? This nonchalant approach? And say, well, listen, I'm Jewish, it's fine. You can't show up in the church and go, listen, I've been a Christian my whole life, it's fine. That doesn't work here. Verse number 10, who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? When you go into the temple, if you're going to do business with God, the, the priests were commanded to shut the doors because the presence of God was going to show up so intense that the common man passing by out there in the street or out there in the way, if he, if he saw it, it could hurt him. He said, none of you would enter in and shut the doors if nothing was going on. He said, neither do you kindle a fire on mine altar for naught. You're not going to start the brai if you don't have any meat. If you come to church ready to do business with God, then you walk in and shut the doors and get the fire going. And go, okay, brethren, we have met to worship. Now, let's, let's put out all the distractions, shut the door, get settled, start the fire. We're here to do business with God. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Ooh, I like this. Ooh, I like this part. I, I love it. I love these parts of the Bible where God starts to brag about himself. Right? Because I can brag about God, but I'm a sinful, fallen, finite human being, so my bragging about God will fall short because all have sinned and come short. But when God starts bragging about himself, oh, that's the best you can do. He says, from the rising of the sun, from the east, even unto the going down of the same, the west, my name shall be great. Among the, he says, everybody is going to figure out just how great I am. Whew. He says, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And, and, and amen, even now this prophecy is being realized in a small way. We are the heathen. You can just say amen to that. You're one of the heathen. We are the Gentiles, and we have recognized in some small way just how great he is. This prophecy will be fulfilled in an even greater way after Jesus comes back. Verse 12, but ye have profaned it. So the Gentiles are going to figure it out, but you, my people, you have profaned my name. But ye have profaned it in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Taking that altar as if it's a small, useless, defiled thing. Well, you know, I'm not going to go to church because, you know, there are problems at the church. And I don't like all the people at the church. And okay, you can make excuses all you want for why you don't want to take it serious. It doesn't, it doesn't get you out of your responsibility to treat that table with respect. He says in verse 13, ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. Oh, God, help me now. You know what they're saying? Oh, we, we've, we've gone to church three times this week already. He wants us to go again. I've gone to church three days this month. Oh, I'm not making that up. That's what he said. That's what they were saying. 
We're tired of it. What a weariness is it? And you have snuffed at it. You understand what snuffing is? That's snuffing. Since August. Come to the anniversary conference. This man's been praying and fasting about what to tell us. Don't blow it off. You have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And, here's another problem, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame and the sick, thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? Say, you want me to take that? You know what he's going to get at in the next verse? I'm better than that. I'm better than that. Verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. So you had something better. You know you have more time and energy than that. You have more passion. You could do better than that. God's better than that. But you brought some half-hearted, defiled, broken thing out of your flock and gave that and said it was your best. Listen, Ananias. Please listen closely, Sapphira. You think you're deceiving us. We'll say, listen, you just don't know how hard I've had and how much I'm going through. You don't know how much all of us are going through. Don't don't sit there and say, well, this is just the best I get. You could do better. I know that there are some people that go above and beyond what they can actually do. And you know who you are. But I also know that there are some of you that you just could do better. Stop acting as if you've got, you've got this thing with God figured out. That you've got the altar figured out. Just admit it. I've been despising it. Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his male a flock and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. He says, for I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. God says, I'm better than that. I am a great king. And when you approach me, you ought to approach knowing that I'm a great king. Bible says in the New Testament, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Paul, forgive me, I think he wrote Hebrews, but whoever wrote Hebrews said that 2,000 years ago there were some taking the assembling time, our church time, taking it lightly. They would not come together faithfully. As the manner of some is, 2,000 years later, we still have the same issue. You know one way that you can show how serious that altar is to you? You just show up when the fire is burning in the altar. When the meal is ready, come and eat. The Bible says the Lord has prepared a supper for us. Yes, you remember the parable? Send the servants, call the people, sit down. The master's made a meal. Time to get fed. I've bought five yoke of oxen. I pray thee have me excused. I purchased a field. I need to go see it. I pray thee have me excused. I married a wife. That guy didn't even say, I pray thee have me excused. He said, I just can't come. God prepared a supper. You know what Jesus said? I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. We don't come just to sit and occupy a chair. We come to sup with him and, and he with us. So I did some math. I figured up how much church we offer you in a week. I'm going to give you the short version. Bare minimum. Bare minimum. And I say this as your pastor, all right? This isn't a biblical number. I'm, I'm admitting this. But as your pastor, in order to keep up with the momentum of what's happening in this church at this current time, you need at least three hours a week of church. At the minimum. Sunday morning would give you two hours. And a midweek service on Thursday would give you three hours. At a minimum. And guys, that is the minimum. I'm not even saying that's a great place to be. I'm just saying minimum. We have Tuesday nights, discipleship. We have Wednesday night, Bible school. We have Sunday night, Bible school. We have outreach and stuff. You could put in more than three hours a week. Do you understand? But minimum three hours a week, that would give you 12 hours a month of church. Minimum just to keep up with what's going on. Just to keep the booster, the medicine flowing. The average church member, again, I did the math. The average church member, not church attendee. We got plenty of people that come and go as they please. They don't want to sign up as a member. You're just a regular church attendee. I've factored you out. Just the average church member comes to three hours of church a month. The average church member misses at least one weekend of church every month for 11 years. That means you're getting 25%. Now, try that with school. I dare you to go to your university classes only one-fourth of the time. I seriously doubt you're going to pass your exams. And why would anybody hire you? You're not going to be meat for the master's use. You can't find a job. You can't, you can't fall, fall into place to serve the Lord. You're not ready. You're not prepared. Try this at work. 40 hours a week, right? I'm just doing basic general math. 40 hours a week. Just go 25% of the time. Just go to 10 hours of work a week. And, and do this for me. Whenever you're going to miss, don't ask your boss beforehand. Just miss. <laughs> and then when the boss asks, hey, everything okay? Where are you? Patiently, kindly, bite his head off and say, hey, I have a life too. I'm allowed to have friends. Why didn't you come this week? Well, I got invited to, you know, some other event was going on. What about the invitation of Jesus? Where he stands and knocks and says, hey, I'm, I'm here at the church. This is where I'd like to sup with you. That is a literally a standing invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. To purposely schedule yourself to be elsewhere is to say, Jesus, I know you're down there knocking. I'm going to go somewhere else. He's better than that. He's better than that. I'm almost done. Let me just point something out. I've given you a little bit of math just to show you. 
how we despise the church of God? Simply by not showing up. But, but my heart in this is not to get you to just show up. I want to get you to the altar. Do you understand what I mean? I don't want you to sit and just occupy a chair. I want you to come here to do business with God, to hear from Him and say, God, I got you. I, I hear you. And to show you how serious I am, I'm going to hit the altar and, and, and solidify the deal, dedicate myself and say, I'm taking that seriously. I'm going to do something about that. So please understand, it's not just, hey, let's get more church attendance. More proper church attendance. How many of you have done this? Seriously now, tell me. How many of you have gone to road traffic, sat in line, waited, what, two hours on a good day? Three hours maybe? And then get to the head of the line and the person says, can I help you? And you say, what? Me? And the person says, yes, you, what you want? And you say, Nothing. Nothing. And then just walk off. Have any of you done that? Why? Why would you go to road traffic and sit there for two or three hours for absolutely no reason? If you have no business with road traffic, is ye mall? Why would you do that? Right? Am I right? Who in their right mind would go to home affairs, waste two hours of their life only to get to the head of the line to say, I don't need anything here, and then walk off. What? You're crippled too high for crutches. <laughs> but people will come to a church not intending to do any business, occupy the chair for two or three hours, and then when we get to the end of the service and we say, let's all stand, it's time to do business with God, and the Holy Spirit puts His finger on your heart and says, hey, what about you? And you go, Me? Yes, you, what are you going to do about that? Uh, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing. And you're the first one out the door. Then why'd you come? Why did you just give up two or three hours of your life? You didn't come for the better. It's for the worse. Because there's a good chance that you actually think because you simply showed up that you're making progress. No, no, you wasted two hours. Paul said, you think I'm going to praise you for this? I praise you not. I want us to come, to better, come together for the better and not for the worse. So for this part, I only need you to listen. I'm just going to give you a few verses on how we come together for the better. Only take a moment, listen closely. The Bible says a certain group would come together and hear Paul preach and they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. This means they came ready to listen, to learn, and to meditate on what they heard. They were not going to let the fowls of the air snatch the word out of their heart. They went home and searched the scriptures every day just to make sure that what they heard Sunday was right. Come ready to listen, to learn, to meditate. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do we come to, together for the better? We come ready to listen, learn, meditate. We come together in all sincerity. We come together because we want to, not because we have to. 
We come together and do our level best. That's what he's asking. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. You know how we can come together for the better? Enjoy it. The commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Oh, it's not a weariness. Oh, I gotta go. I know your flesh will say that. Just tell your flesh to shut up for a minute and talk to the Holy Spirit in there and say, hey, it's Sunday, we get to go to the church. Yes! Yes! I was glad. The Bible says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How do we come together for the better? You come listening with a plan to apply. I'm not listening just to learn. I'm listening to learn so that I can do something. And lastly, as I've quoted before, but will remind you of now, behold, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, that's you doing business. He expects you, you have to take action. You open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. When you come, you come to meet with Jesus. This is not just a social event. This is not about the music. We don't want to emphasize the wrong things. I love the music. I love, this. I love the social opportunity. But we've come to meet with the Lord. And He's better than just a half-hearted effort in His house. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. The pianist will begin to play something softly. I'd like, if you can... Anna Marie, if you could play, is your all on the altar? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's give each other a chance to do something with what we've just heard. If you have a chair, it is a potential altar. You say, the floor is dusty, I might mess up my dress. Uh-huh. My trousers don't want to me- well, mess them up. God's worth that. Before we build a building, we need to build an altar. Who can tell all the love He will send from above and how happy our hearts will be made of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet when our all on the altar is laid our God is a great king our Savior and Lord is a great Savior and a great Lord that escapes words. We cannot describe how great. How do we show Him how much we adore Him? Every week, every time the doors are open, we approach the altar. We don't just enter the house, we approach the altar. 
Jesus said, I build my church. Well, if Jesus is building a church, I want to be a part of it. I want to be passionate about that. That's got to be a big deal. When we come together, God help us. We want it to be for the better. Oh God, we want it to be for the better. We want to come and meet with God week after week. Sunday night after Sunday night. Thursday after Thursday. And it's not just five or ten or twenty, thirty people that need it. The church needs it. All of us. Every one of you. Me included. God, help us never to grow weary of the table of the Lord. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the Spirit control? Listen, you can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield Him your body and soul. Every Sunday, every Thursday, a Monday if you need it, a Tuesday if you can, God, I know where my body's going to be, right where you want me to be. Father, thank you. I believe you've met with us this morning. I sure do appreciate that, Lord. God, you know I love these people. I I want them, Lord, I want them to have a taste. I want them to taste and see, God, how you showed up in the sanctuary, how that cloud filled the room. And it was so good that people couldn't even stand. They had to move outside. It was just so strong and so powerful. God, we want that. We want more. We, We want more about Jesus. We want to give you our very best because you're worth it. You are worthy of it. Father, please, the decisions that are being made now, these altars that are being built right now, I pray that God, you would be the, be the cement that holds these altars together. And the commitments made today, Lord, might they stick. Thank you, Father, for this church. Thank you for how you have had your hand on it. God, we need you. We want you. God, we want you. Even as we depart, Lord, even as we go our separate ways this afternoon, we're eager to come together again. We're glad that even in a few hours we can reconvene. Help us, Lord. We want to do this for the better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight. And if